With some speed, the Panthers enter. What a move by Trocek. He's denied by Quick. Vincent Trocek slicing goal line, and Jonathan Quick got it post to post. Vintage. You're listening to All the King's Men, the official podcast of the Los Angeles Kings. But his head back into it. And what a moment. The redirection stopped and the rebound bid denied as well. Reeves in front of the goal and Campbell got them both. Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Welcome back, Kings fans. My name is Jesse Cohen. This is All the King's Men. We've got an all-goalie episode for you today. First, Kings goalie coach Bill Ranford joins me to discuss Jonathan Quick, Jack Campbell, and the entire Kings uh, goalie pipeline, plus Cat Silverman on the goaltending from teams still in the playoffs and those that have been eliminated. Never miss an episode by subscribing on iTunes or any other podcasting app. Subscription links and recent episodes can be found at lakings.com slash podcast. Joining me now, LA Kings goalie coach Bill Ranford. How are you doing today, Bill? Doing great, thanks. Now, you yourself had uh, quite the career, and you've now been a, a goalie coach for the LA Kings. So I have to ask right off the bat, um, the rumor is that goalies are crazy. Uh, having spent your life in the profession, what do you think of that assessment? I think some are crazy, but uh, others are, are sane. I think I consider myself uh, one of the more sane ones, but... Uh, there are a few that have given us a bad name over the years. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> you never did any laps or talked to your posts or anything like that? No, no. I tried not to. The game was <laughs> tough enough as it was, let alone having to worry about stuff like that. Uh, speaking of the game being tough, one of the hallmarks of Jonathan Quick's career and one of the things he's constantly praised for is that he he's a battler. He fights through screens. Um, you know, we've seen him protect his crease. Um how important was it for you to get him back to, to game shape after a season like last year? Well, I think it was real important. I mean, you know, when the, the style of game that he plays and the wear and tear on his body, uh, when the decision was made for him to, to uh, take, you know, two-thirds of the season off to get healthy again, um, you know, we knew that this year uh, – with the shortened season he had last year, that this year was going to be really important for him to get back on track and and uh, try and get in the number of games that he's he's used to playing in the past. He had a few incredible months this season. At what point uh, during the rehab process or during the off season last year did you know that he was going to be ready to to come back and and be the goalie that we've seen him in the past? Well, I think we knew last year when he came back. You know, he was. Uh, you know, he was strong and, and, and pain free for, for most of his, his return, but it's something that's going to be chronic for the rest of his career. So it's about the maintenance and keeping on top of it. And I think it, um, if anything, it, it taught him the importance of, uh, of making sure that he was warmed up properly, uh, continuing to do the maintenance work in, in order for him to, to be able to play on a nightly basis. Uh, so I think, you know, as soon as he got back from, from the long stint off last year, it, it really kicked in for him. You, you mentioned that it's going to be chronic and it's going to require um, maintenance and, and, and all that. Does that, does the onus of, of taking care of that fall on the athlete? Does the team hire, you know, an extra uh, trainer? Does there extra off-season protocol? How does that manifest itself? 
You know, it's a combination of everything. Uh, we've got a great staff, so it's not about really um, hiring uh, anybody else. Uh, the nice thing is um, once the facility is done at Toyota Center, um, everything's going to be in, in-house. Uh, you know, our guys for extra uh, rehab work have had to go off-site, and uh, we're, we're going to be moving that on, on-site at, at Toyota where the Lakers used to be. So um, it's going to be even more convenient for our guys. But as far as staff goes, nothing will change. We've, we've got a great medical staff, great doctors, and great uh, rehab staff. So nothing changes that way. Uh, he was incredible in October. He was uh, incredible down the stretch for them. If there was any question whether or not he was capable of, of carrying the team in the way that you would want him to, I think he laid any questions to rest in that first round series. Um, maybe Flurry was a, a touch better than him, but is is his performance in that playoff series a, a positive or a negative given that they lost? No, it's a positive. I mean, if you look you look back at it, we, we were um... – basically in playoff mode uh, for the last month and a half of the season. And then obviously into the first round, um, you know, there's three or four really good hockey teams that, that didn't make the playoffs. And we had one of the tougher uh, schedules down the stretch and, and we found a way to get in. And, and I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, the play of Jonathan quick and, and the play of our defense and, and key goals at the right time. I've heard from uh self-proclaimed goalie gurus in the past that one of the one of the keys to quick success is that the team knows how he plays and structures their defense around him um does that sound close to reality uh i think that's part of it i think it you know there's uh you know starting off with terry murray and and uh moving on with daryl sutter and then now john stevens i think we've we've tried to uh, create a system. Uh, it doesn't matter whether it's uh, Jonathan quick or, or uh, Peter Budai or Jack Campbell or Martin Jones. that was in the net. We tried to come up with a system that was going to try and make our goalies successful uh, and limit the number of reads. And, and that's kind of what we try and do. Um, obviously uh, our guys have confidence when Jonathan's in the net and, and uh, are sometimes a little bit more loose, but, Bottom line is we try and create a system that's it's going to make them successful. I spoke to Coach Stevens earlier in the year about um, Tanner Pearson and the addition to his game of, of going to the net and screening the goalies. And he singled out Dustin Brown for helping him. And he mentioned you had helped uh, Tanner Pearson with maybe um, some homework and some scouting reports on other goalies in the league. How much work do you do with the forwards on the rest of the goalies in the league? Uh, we before every game we we go over the uh, the opposing goalie and and obviously Tanner's a guy that's uh, found a niche in front of the net and he's always asking extra questions about the, the particular guy that's starting that night and but the bottom line is the the I I can help him a little bit but you know like anything the work's on him and he's done a really good job to improve that part of his game. Obviously, just numbers wise, it'd be easier to scout every goalie in the league than it would all the forwards. But how much work um, were you able to do in your own career and now as a uh, as a coach? How much scouting do you do on on a on a forward core on a, on a given team? I mean, there's 12 guys times now 30 other teams. Um, I think it's more just awareness. We'll uh, we'll talk about uh, certain guys that you know they like to shoot a lot or they'll shoot from everywhere. Um, I think hockey's uh, 
such a, a fast game and a situational game. Like it's, it's not like uh, in basketball where you can go to the same spot on the court every time and shoot from there and, and get a shot away. Uh, there's the, you know, the sticks getting in the way and, and uh, you know, the constant movement of the puck. Um, it's a little tougher, but we'll just more talk about tendencies of shooters of what they like to do and, you know, that sort of thing. I'm sort of going off script here, but that that answer just made me curious. I was watching the the Vegas Sharks series now, and it seems like Vegas sort of shoots from anywhere uh, at any time. Is that maybe part of the key to their success? Um, they they are a team that put puts a lot of pucks towards the net. There's no doubt about that, and uh, they're they're a team that that shoots from everywhere because they've got some real high end shooters and scorers. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, when you have guys like that in your lineup, they have a tendency to shoot from everywhere. You referenced earlier guys like uh, Peter Budai, Jack Campbell. Now, I frequently um, remind my listeners not to get emotionally attached to backup goalies. Um, it's just not – it's just leads to emotional pain. But I'm curious, halfway through this um, season, you guys uh, make a trade and promote Jack Campbell. What can you say about the evolution of Campbell's game since he's come to the, the LA Kings organization? Well, let's let's not forget the job that uh, Darcy Kemper did for us this mm-hmm. year. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, he, he he was unbelievable. Came in into a tough situation where he knew that Jonathan Quick was going to play a lot, and uh, got us some huge wins. You know, we had to make a decision on him due to the fact that he was on a, a, a one year deal, and um, you know, and, and we wanted to make sure we got something for him. But that comes down to you know Jack Campbell being ready, and we just felt. Uh, his evolution from coming out of uh, Texas and, and Dallas where, um, you know, he kind of lost his way. And, and when we got him a couple of years ago, we just, uh, you know, we, we met up with him. We sat down, Dusty uh, Emo and myself sat down with him and, and just basically talked and, and tried to find out what, what's gone on and where his, his career kind of got off track. And, and we just felt that uh, if we could give him a little bit of, a little bit of love, a little bit more one-on-one attention. We could get his game back on track. And, you know, we, uh, he came out and saw us in Vancouver and it kind of started from there where, um, you know, it was uh, just kind of breaking down his, his game a little bit, start from the basics and, uh, and see what happens from there. And, and a lot of it was, uh, he's a guy that does everything like 120%. So when we talked about things, he went back, uh, back home and, and started working on, on it and, um, you know, and, and his game started to come back into place. Obviously there's plenty of time left in the off season, but moving forward into next season, if he's the backup, are you, are you a happy goalie coach? Obviously I'd be happy with Jack as our, our backup. You know, he came up and, um, you know, he had, I think one start with, with Dallas and, and came in and, and got us some big points. Um, you know, so we, we, uh, our, our number two guys this year lost one hockey game for us in uh, regulation. So uh, there's not another team that had had a, a ratio of that. So obviously we, we are very happy with both Darcy Kemper and, and uh, Jack Campbell. How much does it help having Dusty Emu and the Ontario Reign 40 minutes away on, on a no traffic day? Uh, it's it's helped a little bit. The the thing that's a little bit surprising is just our, our how much our schedules have uh, – overlap so we you know we i think when we we were initially excited i know i was initially excited that i'd be able to get down and see a lot more games but it really doesn't work out that way with our (laughs) schedules but um 
you know, the fact that they're, uh, you know, less than an hour down the road with no traffic uh, has made it really nice for me on, a, on an off day to be able to jump down there and, and see them play uh, versus flying across the country. So uh, it's been it's been nice that way. Just out of curiosity, uh, you've been out here in L.A. for quite a while now. Have you adjusted to the traffic yet? Uh, I try and stay away from the traffic. <laughs> I'm a little bit of a homebody, and uh, I don't venture out too far. But uh, you know what? It's something that uh, you just learn to deal with. But we're very fortunate with the setup of our practice facility that uh, uh, we don't have far to go. And, and the only time we go down to Staples, obviously, is for uh, for game days. And we're somewhat going against the flow of traffic. So, uh, you know, the the worst we have to deal with is probably maximum 40 and and most times is between 20 and 30 minutes. So it's, it's a pretty good setup. In, in recent years, the Kings goalie pipeline seemed to have been uh, emptied out, but it's, it's full now again with Cole Kaler uh, and, and um, sorry, Scott Wedgwood uh, and Matt Villalta just signing his entry-level contract. Um, any of those guys you think have a particularly high ceiling or, or excited to see what they can do? Um, you know, I, I've just had, I uh, was uh, just before the Ontario rain got knocked out, I was able to sneak down to Ontario for a skate with Cole. And that's the first time I'd seen him on the ice. So uh, there's, uh, you know, there's some clay to work with there. He's a big guy and uh, uses his body well. And, you know, so we'll start working on him this summer. And then uh, uh, Scott's uh, is a uh, pending free agent. So we're, we're not sure where that'll go. And then obviously with uh, Maddie's, uh, in the playoffs right now they're going into their second game seven um but he's uh he's still uh probably a good year away till he he turns pro he, uh, more than likely he'll go back to junior next year for for one more year junior but we're excited about him he's uh you know he's a little bit like uh you know he's a little bit like martin jones real calm demeanor um you know not uh overly busy in the net and, and if he can turn into a martin jones we'll be really ex- excited it seems like the trend is forwards getting smaller, goalies getting taller. You mentioned Cole Kaler, he's six foot four. Is there a sweet spot you think a goalie's height should be these days? I think in the six three to six four range is, is probably good. Uh you know, there's a few guys out there in the six six to six eight range, but um uh, you know, then they're then then they start getting bigger holes open up, but uh you know, we're uh, we like the guys in the six three to six four, and and just the way the games change when you're six one six two, uh, you know, you got to be really good at fighting through traffic. And, you know, you you look at a guy like Jonathan Quick, it's something that he's gonna he's gonna have to battle constantly for the rest of his career, just because the guys have gotten so much bigger in front of him. Bill, I want to thank you very much for joining me. Not a problem, anytime. And uh, on behalf of Kings fans, we appreciate the work you've done with the goalies over the years. Yeah. Uh, it's it's been a, a strong point of this current Kings era, and uh, we all appreciate it. So thank you. Well, thanks for having me. Well, I couldn't talk about goalies without talking to my own personal goalie guru, Kat Silverman. How are you doing tonight, Kat? I'm doing all right. I'm I'm surviving. <laughs> we are recording this immediately following the Golden Knights Game Three victory over the Winnipeg Jets. But before we get into that, because I want to ask you all about the goalies in that. Uh, Series. Before we get into that, I want I'm gonna the toll you have to pay for appearing on this episode is say something nice about Jonathan Quick and his performance in the first round of the playoffs. 
Uh, there's there's nothing bad to say about his performance in the first round of the playoffs. There's nothing but nice things. He was obviously hindsight is twenty twenty. You know, we don't know how he would have performed moving forward. Um, but just looking at the first round, he was the second best goaltender in the playoffs. <laughs> okay, I thought you were going to say in the series, and I was going <laughs> to no. He was the second best goaltender in the playoffs. He, I mean, he was shelled with shots. The Kings, obviously, I don't know if they forgot to bring half their forward core or, like, what happened, but they had that one, what was it, double overtime game where they took 30 shots in, like, 90 minutes of hockey. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's bad. All right, we're um, not here to talk about the bad things about the Kings. We're here to <laughs> praise Jonathan Quick. He won that game, but Jonathan Quick morally won that game. Like, obviously, I'll moral victories don't count in the playoffs, but that was a moral victory for him because he kept them in that game for, like, I know, obviously, Kings fans very fondly remember 2014 when uh, it was Quick versus Lundqvist, and Lundqvist was playing behind just a miserable team, and he kept them in in that final round for, like, those overtime games, those double overtime games, until he was literally worked into the ice and, like, melting into the floor. And that was Jonathan Quick in the first round. I mean, he he was Henrik Lundqvist in that series. It's, with- funny. it's, it's <laughs> funny that you reference that because you said, you know, we don't know how he would have played in the rest of the playoffs. I feel like we kind of might have a good sense of how he... I mean, I grant you I'm a Kings fan saying that, but I feel like 2012, 2014 are uh, compelling arguments for how he might have played uh, for the rest of the playoffs. But nonetheless, they lost in the first round. So uh, let's talk about Marc-Andre Fleury and the Golden Knights because obviously Marc-Andre Fleury is a very, very good goalie with a, with a high ceiling. And I don't know, where would you put his... Well, why is my phone doing this? Stop this. <laughs> Um, um, where would you put his floor like on a bad night how bad a goalie can mark Andre Fleury be oh <laughs> um not not Andre Pavlik level bad but on a bad night because a bad night for him is just being mentally off his game and just not being able to figure out where he's supposed to be to snag the puck um because he loves those, you know, snazzy glove saves. Um, he can lose his team a game. Easy. Um, but over, I'd say, the last three to four years, he hasn't been that player. So I'd say right now on a bad night, three goals, four, maybe, possibly. <laughs> so how much, I mean, this is a silly question, but if we had to assign a percentage of the Golden Knights' success in the playoffs, because I'm not, I don't really care about the regular season, but in the playoffs, how, like, is he a Conn Smythe? Uh, is he the favorite for the Conn yes. Smythe if, if Vegas wins? Or even if they Absolutely. Lose? If you could put their first line together winning the Conn Smythe, I mean, it's 50-50 between the first line and him in terms of, like, what people are doing, but... And obviously, I mean, he's got he's got a really effective defense in front of him. But even with a good defense in front of him, playoff hockey is hard. <laughs> <laughs> and he he's kept his team in quite a few games and done it with like a smile on his face. That's like the he, part that annoys me the most. He's in, he always looks like he's just loving what he's doing. He looks like he's he's 
the make a wish kid who like got to come to the game and is like this is this is his dream come true and this this could be his fourth stanley cup like if they win this would be number four for him like it's insane that he still looks that excited with every save he makes (laughs) i i said that i thought he was a hall of famer um i didn't specifically say that i talking about the first round i said two hall of fame goalies going against each other and somebody i don't remember who said hey is mark andre Fleury a hall of fame goalie and i was like yeah absolutely like why wouldn't he be is he is right we're not crazy i mean he leads like leads the active goalies and shutouts playoff shutouts i think too um i mean even even if he's not the best goaltender of his era because i think chris osgood wasn't the best goaltender of his era and everybody can't stop talking we're, we're, we're not here to talk we're, we're not here to not get worms um, <laughs> but uh somebody asked me this year if Corey crawford is chicago's chris osgood and i i i just had to not say anything i just had to walk away from that one but, uh no i mean he's not statistically the best goaltender in his era that would that's uncontested henrik lundquist like across the board but even with a good roster in like in front of you, one guy wins the Stanley Cup each year, and he's now done it three times. Um, he's made it to the playoffs. He's played 127 playoff games. Mm. He's started 119 of them. Um, he has a 912 save percentage in the playoffs over his career. That's even if people don't want to say that he is a hall of fame goaltender between his success level his longevity the fact that he's managed to reshape his game and still be very good you know he's 33 this year uh and then when you add in what he's done for the communities both in vegas and in pittsburgh i mean how can you not put him in i i I don't i don't know i i it seems to me that he should be um is he better than Matt Murray? Never mind. Forget futures. Forget cap hits and value and contract length and you know whether or not they should have protected him or not. Who's the better goalie today? Uh, Mark Andre Fleury by a mile. I mean, is that just because of what happened in this year's playoffs, or is that no? Your, no? That's kind of across the board for me. Uh, I know that uh, Penguins fans get real angry when they hear this because uh, <laughs> he's Matt, Matt Murray's got a high ceiling and he obviously has, he's got the same instincts that Marc-Andre Fleury does, but his technical game still needs a lot of work. Um, he has some issues when he's facing shots in close. He has issues when he's dealing with cross-ice passes. Sometimes um, he doesn't, he doesn't really move laterally in a consistent manner, especially when he's heading to the right post. Uh, there, there are identifiable flaws in his game that are easy to pick out. And this year when he didn't have Marc-Andre Fleury behind him, which even if Fleury's not out on the ice with you, that sort of, that takes a weight off your shoulders, you know, knowing that you have this multiple Stanley Cup champion sitting on the bench if something goes wrong with your game. Just makes it a little easier to play, takes the pressure off. He he struggled this year. He really did. Um, he finished the year with a 907 save percentage in all situations. He had he had 911 at even strength, which isn't great. Uh 
he, let's see, in the playoffs, he had a 908 save percentage. So across the year, he had like a 907, 908. It's negligible there. That's not great. <laughs> and that's, uh, that's, that's below league average by, by a good margin. And, uh, Obviously, Flurry did not have that. Flurry no. had a very good year. Yeah, um, yeah, and it continues to do so. Yep. And part of that was, I mean, the Penguins are getting tired. Um, you know, when you've won back-to-back Stanley Cups, you've officially played in more games than any other team in the league at this point. Um, so they got tired after a while. And it's understandable that he was exposed a little more, which that sort of creates a perfect storm when it's his first year being thrust into the starting role with no real backup help. Um, but still, I mean, you're looking in a vacuum, which one's better flurry by, by a mile. How much of the series that we're seeing now between Vegas and Winnipeg is Hellebuck sort of, I don't want to say giving up bad goals, but he's given up two goals that look exactly the same. And flurry has been not, unreal like he was in the first round but i mean you know he basically shut them out in game two he allowed one sort of goofy goal but really the game was decided and then vegas comes back boom and scores immediately which they did again tonight um so how much of this series is hellebuck choking is too strong a word but but not being as as stable as uh as flurry let's say uh i mean i definitely think that's part of it i think that uh Part of it, obviously, we can't, I I don't like to assign mental blame to Mm. goaltenders because we don't know what's going on in their heads. Um, You you don't want to say, oh, he's he's mentally unfocused. Uh, But Marc-Andre Fleury, like I said, has been in almost, he's been in over 120 playoff games. And Connor Hellebuck has now been in 14. So, you know, even though he has met with success in the AHL. He's met with success in college. He met with success in high school. He was a phenomenal high school hockey player. Um, He, he backstopped team USA to a bronze um, with Mark Arcabello was like their top line center in 2015. So he, he's done good things with bad teams, but the NHL playoffs are a different beast. And I think he is learning how to shake off, when a team figures out his weaknesses, he's learning how to sort of shake that off, how to continue playing his game, not try and overcorrect it. That's one thing that, you know, Flurry's game has identifiable flaws in it. It has identifiable quirks and idiosyncrasies that teams pick on. I mean, teams know that he overcommits. He he shoots out past his posts. He loves to come out and challenge. He doesn't care. <laughs> he continues to play his game because he's confident in it. And he knows that even if they've figured him out, he's still going to play it as well as he can. And I think that Connor Hellebuck is trying to compensate for teams figuring him out a little bit. We've seen him trying to play the puck a little bit more. That's a noticeable weakness of his. So maybe he thinks that teams aren't going to be expecting it and they aren't, but he's also not good at it. So like, I mean, he allowed a really bad goal by mishandling the puck. Um, He... I don't want to say he's confident to a fault, but he's very confident in his game and in what he knows he can do. And the playoffs might be rattling that a little bit. You know, he knows what he's good at and what he's not. And he thinks that that's the only way that he can play. And that may be true. 
but if teams are figuring that out, he may be having, you know, kind of like a come to Jesus moment as a, as a rookie playoff goaltender. And I'm sure we won't see him struggling in the playoffs in the future because it really only takes one playoff run to figure it out. Um, he sells a 924 save percentage through his 14 playoff games, so it's not like he's completely imploding. But, uh, yeah, I think he's he's lacking that experience mentally, and that could be causing part of the problem here. You made a comment, I can't remember if it was last night or two nights ago, but you said maybe all the goalies are bad. I did. <laughs> uh, what did what, I'm curious what you meant by that. Um, you know, we just, we see guys get so harped upon by both their fans and fans of the opposing team when they allow a bad goal. And like I said, Connor Halibut still has a 924 save percentage through 14 games. And I believe tonight makes it 915. I think hockey reference is they, they usually take a date update their stats. So I'm, I'm probably a little off here, but uh, you know, he's, he's sitting on, a, on an elite save percentage and people are out there asking if he's really, God, what it takes to win the Stanley Cup. And, you know, people pick on Sergei Bobrovsky, who improved his save percentage in the playoffs <laughs> this year. Just get it done in the Is he end. above 900 yet? <laughs> he is. He had like a 908 this year. So All right. <laughs> not great, but he, he did better than Matt Murray did. Um, <laughs> but let's talk about Bobrovsky real quick, because you, you brought him up. Um, <laughs> during the season, when William Carlson scored his 43rd goal or something like that, I tweeted out, man, was getting Sergei Bobrovsky the only thing that Columbus has ever done right? Um, I had forgotten about the Seth Jones trade at the moment, but, you know, I looked at their roster. I looked at, at uh, their leading scorer had, uh, I guess he had 82 points. So it was not bad. But their second leading scorer was a defenseman, Seth Jones, 57. Um, then their third leading scorer had 48 points. And I just thought, this is a team that struggles every year. They seem to be led by the nose uh, into the playoffs every year by Bobrovsky. And then every year in the playoffs, Bobrovsky sort of melts down. So what is it? Is it just that he's got a bad team and there's only so much you can do when you're facing another good team seven games in a row? Or is there or is there actually something fundamentally wrong with his game that he doesn't perform well in the playoffs? I don't necessarily think that it's something that's fundamentally wrong with his game. I think that it's something that's fundamentally wrong with the NHL. Um I love he, fundamentally wrong with the NHL takes. Oh yeah, here we go. Uh, <laughs> he has admitted, and I think at this point it is partially mental because he's come out and said, you know, I need to work on my mental approach to the playoffs. But he gets worked so hard every year. I mean, he he basically starts almost every game that he's not injured. <laughs> and that tires a goaltender out. And, you know, we've seen people asking if Braden Holtby has what it takes to be a playoff goalie. You know, he's been asked the same question, like, oh, does he melt down in the playoffs? Is he, like, does he not actually as good as we think he is? This year, he started to get fatigued towards the end of the season. He wasn't playing his best game. So Barry Trotz rested him. He rode Philip Grubauer into the playoffs. He knew that they were going to make it. Wasn't a big concern of his. And then he started Grubauer in the playoffs. He gave him a game or two when... It like he was struggling in the postseason because once again, like the rookie goaltender in terms of playoff games, uh, he put Holtby back in. He was rested. He'd gotten a chance to clear his mind from playing 8,000 games in the last three years. And he looks the best he's looked in, you know, 
multiple postseasons. I, I honestly can't think of the last time we've seen Braden Holtby look this fresh when it comes to the playoffs. And I think that's part of it for Bobrovsky is he gets worked to the bone and then he's expected to continue playing at that level in the playoffs. And his game does not lend well to being super tired. So I think that combined with that little nagging self-doubt that he's developed at this point of, can I do it in the playoffs? You know, that that creates a perfect storm and he does melt down. But I don't think it's his game. I think it's the teams resting their goaltenders heading well, but Far be it for me to, to cast aspersions on other franchises, but it sounds an awful lot like you're suggesting that Columbus Blue Jackets are not a terribly well-run franchise. Uh. <laughs> somewhat yes but they're not the only team that does it i mean how many times have we seen henrik lundquist get run into the grounds only to make an early playoff exit you won't hear me defending the way the rangers are run either <laughs> but i i hear what you're saying um, yeah, we see it from multiple teams we we saw yeah. it from i mean look at toronto this year mike babcock played frederick anderson in every game that was not a back-to-back and he looked bad by the time the playoffs came around yeah. he looked tired he looked off his game I don't know why they did that. You know, you play Curtis McElhaney, bring bring up Garrett Sparks, play him for 10 games towards the end of the season. You know you're almost guaranteed a playoff spot at that point anyway. You rest Frederick Anderson. You get his best foot forward when you head into the playoffs, and maybe you win a round. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Uh, all right, so uh, before I let you go, uh, one last dumb question. Who wins the Stanley Cup? Ah. Uh, I don't. I don't think I can. I, I don't think I can bet against Vegas this year. Oh, um, man. <laughs> I'm. I'm quietly rooting for Washington to win because my best friend is from the D.C. area, and I'm getting real sick of the, the super tired, the super sad, the what did I do to anger God texts that come in batches of fifteen or thirty at a time, every time they you know blow it in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So I I want that to shut up. So <laughs> that's as good a reason as any and it's <laughs> for my sanity, but I don't know how anybody can bet against Vegas at this point. It's, it goes back to that mental thing. They believe that they can do it with every game they win. They grow more confident and I, I, I don't see them melting down at this point. So they would have to be genuinely outskilled. I think and, the, the most annoying part of the Vegas success, sorry to cut you off there. Um, is seeing things like Jonathan Marcheseau showing up to the game tonight in a customized Lamborghini with Vegas born plastered on the sides of it. And, you know, you see Marc-Andre Fleury sticking his finger in the guy's ear tonight. And Was that real? Did Marcheseau really show up in that Lamborghini? I don't or know was... how far he drove it, but he absolutely showed up in it. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, it must be just a blast to be a Vegas fan right now, right? Your team's in the Western Conference Final and everything they do is fun and goofy and Flurry's got a smile on his face and Marsha's goes, I just, it just feels like they're cutting in line to me. That's all. Oh, they absolutely are, but it's going to be harder for them moving forward because I think part of why they're succeeding is obviously their players have skill, but they're also angry. I mean, how many times have we seen guys put up spite seasons in the past and we've yeah. got 23 guys that are playing spite seasons right now. You you lose that anger, that need to prove it the following year, and that takes just a little edge off their game. Maybe so, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I don't, 
Maybe they got like truly hard whacked with that lucky stick and they're going to be angry for the next 10 years and they're the next Islanders. But I don't know about 10 because the, the league I think is just built towards tearing teams down now, but certainly the next two or three with all the draft picks they have and the cap system working the way they want it to. After that, Arizona wins, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think Arizona might uh, might have to contend with Seattle, too. Anyway, Kat, I want to thank you very much for joining me. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And uh, thanks for listening, Kingsman. We'll talk to you soon.